0: I was to have started this holding up a little book. No? Sorry, that's all right. I was, I was going to hold up a little book, which I forgot. But anyway, bear with me. So I, I got a, a little book recently. Um, it was called Lamentations of a Sinner. And it was written by Queen Catherine Parr. So some of you that might... You know, I'm seeing some nods. So she was actually Henry VIII's sixth and final wife. Um, she wrote this book that I don't have probably in about 1546... And died a couple of years later, um, at the age of about 35, 36. So I was going to read you the opening paragraph, which obviously I can't. But it says something to the effect of, um, you know, the age that she's living in. Um, you know, people call good evil and, and evil good, and just how dark the times were. Um, anyway, imagine I've done that now. So, so the point is, this was to have been a good reminder to us. So, so we tend to think of our own times as, as being uniquely evil in, in what we see happening around us. Um, in all the states of Australia, uh, Victoria um, now has laws in place that make some aspects of expressing our Christian faith illegal. In, in our culture, Christianity is often seen as anachronistic as best and at worst, it's, it's, it's even the embodiment of hate and evil. Um, And you might have heard the the European Union was seeking to ban um, all references and usage of the word Christmas. So, you know, this this is so-called Christian Europe. Um, And there's much more that can be said about this, of course, but but the reality is that all these things are nothing new. Uh, A glance at history shows us that that there's never been a normal time. Um, There's no good looking back to what was, to a better time, because they just never existed. Each era, each time, each generation has its own problems and its own issues and its own evils we need to deal with. Uh, we, we can romanticise certain eras, but, but that's all it is. A, a good, hard, honest look uh, will tend to show us that, that you know, they weren't perhaps as good as what we think they were. So if you just like to... It'd be good to have your Bibles at the moment. Well, all the time, actually. But if you've got your Bibles, just open them up to Isaiah 60 so verse two for behold darkness shall cover the earth thick darkness all the peoples there are those in our in our world in our culture who believe that that we're progressing to some bright utopian future but as we look around us at the agendas that they're actually pushing um it's just not the case it seems more like a dystopia Um, And speaking of that, there's a movie, I kept hearing references to V for Vendetta. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It was on TV a while ago, so I thought I'll I'll give it a look. So it's it's set in in, in a mythical future um, in England. The basic premise is that a deadly virus escapes and then the government locks down totalitarian rule. You know, interesting. 2005 movie. Um, Good thing it's fiction, hey? But, But the interesting thing was, that, that in this movie the ruling party is sort of this extreme right-wing Christian party and that's where Hollywood and the media tend to get it wrong um, because even though we're painted as a villain in the movies, in, in reality it's, it's, it's the Christians who are at workplaces whispering in corners. It's, it's the Christians who are being marginalised and sacked from their jobs. It's the Christians who are having laws passed against their freedoms and their rights i was just on on friday i was actually just reading um open doors um in their list of of the 50 top offending nations there are currently 309 million christians experiencing very high to extreme levels of persecution 309 million darkness shall cover the earth thick darkness all the people So darkness is not only the absence of life, but it's the absence of God himself. And and in fact, in Romans 1, God's judgment is giving people over to their darkness. The the repeated refrain, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. God gave them up to a debased mind. Remember, Paul's writing 2,000 years ago. Um, So again, there's nothing new under the sun in this. Um, Darkness does indeed cover all the people's. Um, yeah you yeah, know anyway, I could go on I've got a few other examples I could go on but but we don't have to look far to see evil celebrated as good and good celebrated as evil um, just look at how the, the mainstream talks about abortion or, or so-called sex work um, apparently we, we can easily block and stop false information on COVID but to block child pornography that's that's too hard that's too big a problem um, anyway So looking at verse 2 in Isaiah again, it starts with for behold. So it actually points us back to verse 1. So verse 1, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's a better way to start a Christmas sermon. Arise and shine, why? Your light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This actually harks back to to, um, 59 verse 20 and a redeemer will come to Zion. And so in, 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 in chapter 60, Isaiah is still looking forward towards a future, but a future where we can now say he has come. And, and Alec, so arise and shine, your light has come. So Alec Mortier says, it's not just that they are bathed in light, but they are irradiated and inwardly charged with a new outshining life. And then verse 2 goes on for behold as we have said behold the darkness shall cover the earth but the Lord will, will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Remember back in Exodus 34 Moses comes down from the mountain after meeting with the Lord and he had to veil his face because it was shining so much he actually frightened the people around him. So like Moses Isaiah talks about his people reflecting this 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 glory of God and that's why we have this this declaration this command to arise and shine because while darkness does cover the peoples of the earth in verse 3 the nations will come to you that's a great image isn't it um uh, matthew um uh, 5 14, you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden in the ancient world with no electricity if you were traveling at the night it was just simply dark Um, I know I'm speaking to people who live on farms so you know what it's like when it's dark and you're out and about but but no no electricity, no street lights just dark but even at a time of candles and oil lanterns a city on a hill would be a beacon a beacon of light and hope in the darkness if you're travelling so verse 3 and nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising so the nations and the kings these are the ruled and the rulers they will come to you um, um, these are the Gentiles, the outsiders, the unclean, the enemy, even, and um, they will be drawn in. Verses four to eleven expand on this idea. So we'll just we'll just quickly quickly flash through this. So again, if you have your Bibles open, it'd be handy. I'm just going to flash through. So so in verse four, they gather, they come to you. So and your sons and daughters shall come from a, come from afar. Your daughters carried on the hip. This is an image as well of the nations as well as the children of Zion all living in, together in one place. Alec Mortier says this is a worldwide regathering. And in verse 5, um, um, then, then, then you shall see and be radiant. So the image here is, is this pr- pr- progression, procession of pilgrimages um, bringing tributes. And in 6 and 7, um, it talks of Midian. Nathan pronounced it all well. Ephah, Sheba, and how do you say it, Nathan? Neboiath? <inaudible> anyway, yeah, that one. So, so these are nations to the north, south, and east. The, 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 the sea is to the west. So, this is this may just simply be referring to Israel neighbours. So, all four corners of the earth, so to speak, except for the sea. Um, all these people coming in, and notably. Midian, who was originally one of Abraham's sons, as a nation became an enemy um, to Israel. So even the enemies, everyone's mm. the neighbors they're all coming in. Um, and they're coming in bringing their camels, their gold, their frankincense. Um, so they're coming with acceptance. They're bringing their tributes and their gifts and the Lord's house will be beautified because of them. Now, verses 8 and 9, they fly like like a cloud and doves to the windows. Uh, These are the ships that are referenced referenced to in verse 9. They bring his children from afar. Um, Contextually, this is still the nations. These are the other people being brought in. These are the converts coming in. And in verse 10, foreigners rebuilding the walls. Alec Mortier, again, points out that this is not some menial service. These are not slaves or servants but that helping to rebuild the walls here is the true zeal of genuine citizens of the city. So the nations are no longer about attacking them and tearing them down, but they're one with them and helping them to to, to build something that's safe and secure. In verse 11, your gates shall be continuously opened. So remember, this is the ancient world we're talking about. So cities had strong walls and gates to protect them from marauders, enemy armies, Um, At daytime, the the, the gates were guarded. At nighttime, they were generally locked to keep the city and its its residents safe. Um, You've probably seen movies where, um, you know, an army's coming, so all the people from the surrounding countryside, all the farms, all race to get into the city walls before they close the gates. But not here. Um, There's no need to close the gates anymore. All those that approach are friends and Children. But not only will they not be attacked or plundered anymore, but the, people will, but the people and the kings will come in a procession, bringing their wealth. They'll come bearing gifts and tributes. This is a procession, so the gates need to remain open. Matthew, Matthew Henry quoting on these verses, "'The gates are open not only because thou hast reason "'to fear thy enemies, "'but because thou hast reason to expect thy friends.'" It is usual with us to leave our doors open or leave someone ready to open them all night if we look for a a child or a guest to come in late. So can you see the glorious image that Isaiah is painting here? Into this dark world the glory of the Lord is shining on God's people, and they in turn shine, bathed in his glory. This light is this light in the darkness draws in others who get to see this light. Isaiah points to a time when the nations will be drawn out of the darkness to the light of the king. And this brings us to the Magi. Thank you. Um, The Magi. The Magi coming in Matthew 2 is the start of this prophecy being fulfilled. If Jesus is the true Israel and the true king, which, which he is, in Matthew 2, this is the beginning of the nations being drawn in, travelling to see him. And so the Magi come. Now, we know very little about these men. Um, just that they're called the Magi. Um, that they come from the east. And the word is plural. So there's more than one. And they bring three gifts. Anything else we add to that is pretty much made up. So likely they were astrologers or sorcerers or some sort of priestly caste um, um, But the bot- and there's lots of speculation about who they are. Some traditions even name them um, but the bottom line is we don't know who, we don't know exactly where they were from or even how many they were. It's unlikely it would have been three. Um, Travelling distances in, in those times, th- Christmas card style, three men on camels, you're open to bandits and attacks. So traveling in those days if you were, if you had any sort of wealth you traveled in large caravans lots of people that's how you were safe um, and so why, why why did they come why did they make this long and dangerous journey they're drawn to the light literally in Matthew 2 as a star metaphorically it is the king if these men fall under the banner of sorcerer or astrology astrologer don't forget biblically those vocations are are condemned but these men these outsiders these sinners these who are living in the darkness they're drawn to this light did they fully understand who they are coming to see it wasn't until after jesus death that his closest followers finally understood who he was So we don't know the Magi's understanding of the identity of this child they came to see. But they knew he was important. And so they come bringing gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gold and frankincense at any rate are mentioned in Isaiah 60, but these these are more just simply traditional gifts given in homage to a king. I can't remember where I came across this quote, but it's one of the ones I really hope is true. So, So Queen Victoria the monarch of the United Kingdom, sat in church one day weeping as the preacher spoke about the glorious return of Christ. After the sermon, he approached her and asked, Your Majesty, why did you weep as I spoke today? She replied, Because I do hope he will come in my day so that I may lay my crown at his feet. That's the proper response for anyone who beholds King Jesus. The wise men lay their treasure at his feet, and someday Queen Victoria and all the saints will do likewise. Um, Just because we're going to sing it shortly, um, we'll all kneel at the throne of grace, losers and winners, saints and sinners, one day we'll see his face and we will all bow down. Kings will surrender their crowns and worship Jesus. Just as a side note, have you ever wondered what happened to these gifts—gold, frankincense, and myrrh—we're not told their actual worth, but it seems realistic to, to assume it would have been significant. Um, what happened to this money? When, when again, the assumption is that from other texts that, that Jesus' parents were quite poor. Um, a few verses later, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph flee to Egypt. Sinclair Ferguson suggests that perhaps the the, the Magi's gifts financially supported um this this journey this journey stay and return home now we don't know but i just thought that was an interesting idea but um anyway back to our text so the response of the magi of course is quite different to the response of the leaders in jerusalem verse 3 tells us that herod was troubled and all jerusalem with him this is this this herod is herod the great herod who murdered two of his own sons out of jealousy and paranoia about his rule Herod who put to death death many Jewish leaders and Herod who again a few verses later has all the male children two years and under murdered in an effort to do away with a potential threat to his rule. Just, Just flick over to Revelation chapter 12. I've got it marked so it's easy for me. So Revelation chapter 12. So so Revelation 12, starting at verse 1. And a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the child he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Without going into the finer details, Sinclair Ferguson describes this as one of the most horrific passages in the Bible. Here... The dragon is crouched at the door of the womb, so to speak, waiting to devour the child. So the birth of Jesus was not just opposed by Herod, the rulers and the authorities, but also by the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Darkness tried to devour the light. Um, There's a a concept out there. I don't know if if you've heard of it. Um, There's this idea of there's only there's only two kingdoms. Um, the idea is that, that there's only two worldviews, two religions, two ideologies. Um, Christianity and everything opposed to Christianity. So one of light and one of darkness. Uh, John 3.19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because, of their, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. People love the light and hate the darkness, and the spiritual powers are seeking to maintain their dominance. But Jesus is a threat to the kingdom of darkness, and so from his very birth, the darkness sought to devour the light. But back to Herod. So this murderous king hears of the, the arrival hears he of the arrival of, a, of a, another potential rival king, and he's troubled. And giving his reaction to such threats. Given his reaction to such threats, um, no wonder all of Jerusalem is troubled with him. A common topic in Christmas sermons is the wise men still seek him. And it's easy to see why. The Magi go to Jerusalem asking questions. Where is he that was born king of the Jews? Herod assembles the leaders of the Jewish people, the chief priests and the scribes to inquire they look to the prophets and they're recorded in, in, in micah uh, they find the prophecy of that the ruler the king he will be born in bethlehem the city where king david was born and so these leaders of the jews they have the prophecies in front of them and yet we're not told that any of them is sought to inquire further it's only the, the foreigners the, the astrologers the sorcerers who go out and seek him this is, the, this is what I find most curious about the Matthew narrative. The people who were meant to be living in expectation of the king's arrival ignored the prophecies and it's the outsiders who go to the great efforts to find him. Perhaps it was just the fear, um, uh, given how Herod reacts to these things, um, But it's not just the leaders, all Jerusalem with him. So, so the general populace knew something about what was going on and yet we have no record of anyone other than the Magi going out. It may just simply have been apathy and indifference. Um, They had their lives set up. They were content. Um, So this news of a new king, well, I don't care. It doesn't affect me. Uh, It may have just been simple disbelief. Um, Yes, they had the the scriptures, they had the traditions, they had the laws, but that's all it was. They just followed those things. No no true belief. Um, And now don't forget we all fall to those same faults as well. We all struggle with fears we all struggle with apathy we all struggle with disbelief so we shouldn't necessarily jump to judge because we're not too far different Those of us who have been here long enough will recall particularly Ray talking about the already but not yet so Christ's kingdom has come but it hasn't fully come so the, the common illustration there is World War II, the Allies establish their, their, their um, on, on get onto the beachfronts, they in Normandy and the other beaches, and get established there. Once that's happened, Hitler's lost the war. Now there's still many months of bloody battles ahead, but, but the Allies had won, um, the, the full victory just hadn't quite come yet. And so the king has broken into, this, into his world and claimed his kingdom. And the opposing forces do not like it. And so we face many many battles and struggles and trials awaiting the final victory. And Peter warns us, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But the point is definite. The light has come and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So we started in Isaiah 60, Arise and shine for your light has come. For the glory of the Lord has risen. And this was looking forward to the promise, the, the promise that is now fulfilled in Jesus. In Luke 2. In Luke 2, when Jesus is taken to the temple and Simeon led by the spirit goes to the temple to see Jesus, he says, "Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word." for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel and Jesus himself says in John 8 12 I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life so he is the light and we are to rise and shine but I guess how what does it even mean um so as one example, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We have a response and a responsibility. We are to check our attitudes and behaviour, things that can only be done when we've been changed by the Spirit, by God's Spirit. But as children of God, we are to shine as lights in this crooked and twisted and dark world. We are to stand out in our attitudes and behaviours. A a good friend of mine, when he was a teenager, he worked on an industrial estate as an apprentice. It was a curious place because a lot of the tradesmen and business owners on that estate all attended the same church and he was actually, as a teenager, was baptised. The problem he found, what he struggled with, was that on Sunday, all these men behaved in an appropriate, Christianly manner. But then Monday to Friday, was about making money, taking shortcuts, ripping off customers. Sadly, my friends, continuing a view from that time is the church is full of hypocrites, and he wants no part of it. The men there acted in, in, in basically corrupt and evil and worldly mm. ways. They were driving people away rather than drawing them in as a close at a home example, being very trying to be very vague here, a lady I'm currently dealing with through work she's been given a matter of months to live she's been trying to connect with the local church in her, she's new to the area, to where she lives she's been trying to connect to one of the local churches uh, for some pastoral care uh, and no follow up, no one's no one's bothered. Um, so, yeah, you know, again, are we shining as lights in the world? Matthew Henry again. What is the duty which the rising of this light calls for? Arise and shine. Not only receive this light, but be enlightened by it. But reflect this light. Arise and shine with rays borrowed from it. The children of light ought to shine as lights in the world. If God's glory be seen upon us to our honour, we ought not only with our lips but in our lives to return the praise of it to his honour. And that's the point I'm hoping to make this morning. Isaiah was looking forward to the day when the Redeemer would come to Zion to a time when they could say, the glory of the Lord has risen upon them. And as we approach Christmas, uh, we are reminded that this has happened in the birth of Christ and that even though we are still living in a dark world, one where the powers and authorities are seeking to devour the light, the glory of the Lord shines upon us. Um, John one five: The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But this is not meant to just be some uh, metaphoric or ephemeral discussion on light and darkness. This is about our response to Jesus, how we live our very lives. Um, and I, I guess it's also not an issue of salvation by works, um, but in James' words, you know, we're to be doers of the words, not just hearers. And so as we shine in the light, as we reflect God's glory, uh, we do so in how we live and act in the world, how we treat others, how we act and do things. Um, Abraham—I can never pronounce his right, his name right—Cowper, Cooper. Anyway, uh, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, "Mine." Every part of our life is meant to be about Christ, devoted to Christ. What we find is that the parts of the church that capitulated to the world are actually shrinking, but those who hold to the truth to the truth of god's word they're growing and often in the face of of harsh opposition remember 309 million christians facing persecution and why do these churches grow because like on a city on a hill they're a beacon of light in this dark world and the darker it gets the, the the brighter that line shines out and people do indeed come so there's so much more we could talk about here but um Um, we'd be up here for hours you know talking about how we could live and sharing the gospel and all sorts of other things but but for now let us not live in fear and indifference as the jewish people did when the magi came through but let us stand and shine why because the king has indeed come and let us strive to reflect his glory like a city on the hill and be a light shining in the darkness let's pray um, Heavenly Father, we'll thank you for the rain. I'm sure many of you people are enjoying that. But, um, yes, Lord, help us as we as we, um, especially consider come through Christmas and consider the birth of your son and all that that, that, that does achieve for us and has achieved through him. Uh, we just thank you for that. And, Lord, we just pray, help us to live lives, um, uh, walk, walk in a manner worthy of our calling, Lord. Help us to indeed... Um, shine out in this dark world. Amen.